Make way, make way. For the King of Kings. Make way, make way. For the King of Kings. everyone. My name is Simon Carver and welcome to Dagnall Street Baptist Church's podcast service for Sunday the 27th of November. This Sunday is the first in Advent and our theme is about vigilance, staying awake for the arrival of the Son of Man. We began with a song by Graham Kendrick about making way for the arrival of a king. Amongst our other music we have two songs sung in gospel style by Curtis Mayfield and Sam Cooke respectively. Some notices. This Sunday's 10.30 on-site service is an all-age messy church to which all are welcome. We will also be lighting our first Advent candle. The church magazine for December and January is now available from all the usual places, including online. It's a really bumper edition this month and has been split into three sections for online viewing and download. Next week we will be holding our December church meeting at 12pm after morning worship. This meeting is open to all and we will be outlining our budget for next year and also showing a short excerpt from the series The Chosen. It's a special Christmas edition. 
And finally, Cards for Good Causes are now selling Christmas cards in our green room, entrance via the door at the end of the car park. They're open from 10 till 3 on Monday to Wednesday, and then Thursday to Saturday until 4. And they will be there until the week before Christmas. Don't forget, a percentage of the proceeds go to our church funds. And now our call to worship. I was glad when they said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. And now here we are, standing inside your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a well-built city. Its seamless walls cannot be breached. All the tribes of Israel, the Lord's people, make their pilgrimage here. They come to give thanks to the name of the Lord, as the law requires of Israel. Here stands the throne where judgment is given, the thrones of the dynasty of David. Pray for peace in Jerusalem. May all who love this city prosper. O Jerusalem, may there be peace within your walls and prosperity in your palaces. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, may you have peace. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek what is best for you, O Jerusalem. Justice and our peace, the task is mine. 
to do to set it really free. Oh, help me to obey. Help me to do your will. Oh, the angels cannot change a world of hurt and pain into a world of love, of justice and of peace. The task is mine to do to set it really free. Oh, help me to obey. Help me to do your will. We praise you, living God, for these days of Advent, for the opportunity they offer to reflect on Scripture and to prepare our hearts and minds for the coming of your Son. As we set out on our journey, may we find a stillness that is your presence with us, leading us on to Bethlehem, where our spirits can soar towards the light of your eternal love, revealed in the Christ child. Advent God, forgive us, we pray, when our preparations for the coming of your Son are superficial and we don't invest our whole selves into them, prayerfully, practically or purposefully. May we not be left with regrets and if-onlys, but adapt to the challenges of our lives and our world with the grace and agility of your Holy Spirit, in whose power we pray. God of all creation, though the nights are long, the sun still rises. Though the mornings are dark, the birds still sing. Though the world isn't ready, your sun still comes. Though we don't listen or prepare or deserve, you still love and forgive and renew us. In Jesus' name, Amen. A reading from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 24, beginning at verse 36. However, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself, only the Father knows. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realise what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. So you too must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time for the Son of Man will come when least expected. Our reading today follows from where we were two weeks ago. Then we were following Luke's account of the life, ministry, death and resurrection of Jesus. The beginning of Matthew chapter 24 follows much the same territory as we covered in Luke. You might remember that we were thinking about the conversation that Jesus overheard while he was speaking in the temple courtyard in Jerusalem. And there a couple of his followers were admiring the extraordinary building around them. Jesus told them that there would come a time when not one stone would remain standing on another and that bad times were ahead. There would be wars, earthquakes and famines. But before any of this happened, Christians will be persecuted and face prosecution on trumped up charges. Jesus didn't promise that everyone would survive this period of turmoil, but he did promise that throughout it all, God would be with them. 
The message was that while bad things might happen, you're in God's care and he knows you. He knows every part of you, every hair on your head. You may face death, but you will not perish. You will be saved. You will be safe. This passage seems to deal with what would happen in the lifetime of those who heard Jesus, and it would have been confirmed by those who heard Luke's story when it was read to them. They would have known well enough that Christians were a persecuted minority who were favoured by neither Jew nor Rome, and that they faced persecution and death. They may also have known what happened to Jerusalem, the Romans having destroyed the city and the temple at the end of several years of insurrection in Palestine. In the summer of 66 AD, when Nero was Roman emperor, a revolt began in which a Jewish leader captured the fortress at Masada and a considerable number of weapons. He attacked Jerusalem, not an especially fortified stronghold, and any Romans that were still there in September that year were lynched. At the same time, in the north of the country, in Galilee, Greeks and Jews were engaged in a conflict which the Jews eventually won. The Jewish zealots began to feel that this was their time and that they could finally overthrow the Romans after years of rule which was bleeding them dry. In 67 AD a full-scale war broke out but whereas the Romans had been caught cold before now they'd been roused to respond with their superior forces under the command of Vespasian. It was not until September 70 AD, three years later, that the city and the temple were destroyed following a long siege. With the destruction of the temple came the end of Israel's worship, focused around the practice of sacrifice and the whole system of the priesthood. From that time, Israel's religious order changed. The Sadducees were superseded as those who had the power by the Pharisees, who were responsible for the new order of worship that was centred around the synagogues. While Israel suffered, so did Christians, Jews and Gentiles. And what Luke recorded of these words of Jesus were an accurate account of the fate of Jews and Christians alike. But as Jesus said, it wasn't the end of the world. If what we considered before was Jesus promising God's presence in an imminent time of trial, in our passage this morning, Jesus goes on to speak of another future. We need to go back a little before the start of our reading to verse 27. And there we find the first reference in this section to the Son of Man. This is a title that's used by the Church of Jesus. But it's not very clear from the stories of Jesus whether it was a title that Jesus took for himself. There is evidence that it was an expression that could simply mean a person, a modest way of referring to oneself, something like yours truly. However, there are occasions of which this is one when the Son of Man refers to the passage in the Old Testament book of Daniel, where the prophet sees one like a Son of Man, i.e. with the appearance of a human being, coming with the clouds of heaven. And he came to the Ancient One and was presented before him. To him was given dominion and glory and kingship that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that shall not pass away. And his kingship is one that shall never be destroyed. That's all from Daniel chapter 7. This sounds as if it could be a description of the exaltation of Jesus following his resurrection and ascension although how this has been t interpreted might suggest otherwise. However, I want to hold to this picture that we have in Daniel, 
the origin of this son of man expression as used here, and suggests that the coming to which Jesus refers is his coming in exaltation to his father. But the son of man's coming will be an event which will happen suddenly and in an unambiguous fashion which sits uneasily with an event which we believe to have happened 2,000 years in this past, 40 days after Easter. It's hard to reconcile these two ideas, an expected event and one that's happened long ago. These two ideas might be mutually exclusive. However, there may be a way in which we can hold both together. The first meaning given in a dictionary of the New Testament for the word which we read as coming is actually presence, There is a sense in which this word parousia has as much to do with being somewhere as moving from one place to another. If one was to be given the opportunity to see, as John saw in his vision in Revelation, one would be witness to the coming of the exalted Messiah to heaven. A clue to what this might mean comes in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. For as all die in Adam, so all will be made alive in Christ, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed every ruler and every authority and power. It doesn't seem to be stretching things beyond what is reasonable to suggest that Paul is describing the death and resurrection of Christ followed by his ascension and exaltation which leads to those who belong to Christ to expect that their death will also lead to new life. In this new life, this life after death, those who belong to Christ will see his coming in glory at the throne of heaven. No one knows when this will happen because no one knows when they will leave this life. This is illustrated by these two examples Jesus gives. Two people in a field, one will be taken and one will be left. Two women grinding meal together, one will be taken and one will be left. It will be like it was in the days of Noah. Life will carry on as normal until it doesn't. However, we choose to interpret these strange word pictures concerning otherworldly matters. The overarching message is that there is nothing we can do to affect the timetable. Whether it refers to events surrounding God's appearance in our world or our appearance in his, we can do nothing to alter the schedule, so the message is to be ready. I believe that the message of the book of Revelation and indeed of these words of Jesus is that God is in control. However, some Christians believe that God is so completely in control that it is ridiculous for us to try to make the world a better place. Our job is to get our souls right with God, not to confront social ills. Charlton Heston, the actor who played Ben-Hur, was one of the more famous people to hold these views and believed it as an insult to God for humanity to actively care for the environment, there being no poisons that we could dump into a river that God couldn't make disappear with a snap of his mighty fingers. Others use this logic regarding nuclear weapons, saying it is an insult to God to believe humanity could kill itself off in a nuclear holocaust. This will be relatively harmless eccentricity if some of those who hold these views do not also hold positions of considerable power in world politics. A former senior US politician discouraged pro-environmental legislation because of what he saw as the likelihood of the Lord's imminent return. 
The Christian message, as I read it in the Bible, is that God refuses to be a distant God. God refuses to leave us alone in our suffering. God refuses to abandon even those who deserve punishment for all the evils they have committed. In fact, God loves the world so much that God bridged the distance between God and humanity through Jesus Christ. Not because we deserved it, not because God had no choice, but because God creates us and loves us, all of us. The message of this passage seems to be twofold, a warning both to be prepared, but also to keep calm and carry on. Election and referendum results on both sides of the Atlantic over the last few years could be seen as a wake-up call for those in power. They cannot take for granted that this is how it will be forever. In the same way, the Bible passages that we read during Advent are intended to wake us up, to remind us that change is going to come. This particular warning to Jesus' disciples contained a reminder that Noah's neighbours were blissfully unaware of what the future held. These passages are designed to shake us out of our comfortable existence and to be alert. In churches where the weeks of the year have names, last week was the end of ordinary time. This week we have moved from ordinary time to what we might say is extraordinary time. Everything has been going along nicely since Pentecost and for weeks going into months it has been ordinary. But now we have been warned, Jesus is coming soon. That Jesus is coming is the hope of Advent. It signals the possibility of a fresh start, a resetting of our default mode. One of my favourite Christian authors is Barbara Brown Taylor. Some years ago, in the early 70s, she was a student in Atlanta, Georgia. The end of the war in Vietnam was still some way off and young men, fellow students, were still being called up into the military. Feelings were running high on American campuses and the National Guard were used to put down rioting students. I'm a little younger than Miss Brown Taylor, but I remember a feeling that the world was not a safe place with Israel and the Arab world at war in the Middle East in 1973. Certain evangelical preachers asserted that these events were a part of a final judgment on the earth. Barbara Brown Taylor describes a similar feeling. I could not sleep. I'd not slept well in weeks. I did not know what I wanted to be when I grew up. I did not even know if I wanted to grow up in such a violent, crazy world. Then I heard myself say, come, Lord Jesus, just like that. And then I said it again, come, Lord Jesus. I remember thinking I should be afraid to say something like that, but I wasn't. I was relieved to go ahead and ask for the end. Please come back and finish this thing up. We are no good at it. We've never been any good at it. Come, Lord Jesus, and don't delay. Then I looked out the window and saw, imagined, a bright spot in the sky that grew bigger and bigger with clouds boiling all around the centre of it like big curling waves. Then the head of a beautiful white horse pushed through them, then the front legs and the chest until finally this gleaming creature was galloping right towards me with a rider on its back who was too bright for me to see. There was a lot going on in the background too, like the wake behind a giant speedboat, but I never got a look, good look at that because I couldn't take my eyes off the horse and rider. It lasted only for a second or two, then I stopped imagining, and the thunderstorm moved on. I fell asleep, survived college, grew up, got a job, but that vision of the end remains vivid for me. 
It is embarrassingly literal, I know. In my part of the country, it might be called a vision of the rapture, and there are plenty of people who will be happy to tell me exactly where it comes in the final lineup of events. From what we read in the New Testament, Jesus would not have had much truck with people who believed there was a discernible timeline for future events. Jesus was more concerned in the next chapter to remind his disciples that there are still hungry people who need feeding, others who have no home, some who would love to go home but who are in prison. On the other hand, by the time Matthew wrote his account of the life and teaching of Jesus, there were people who'd given up expecting anything to happen. If the stories were true, then where was he? If he was so full of love, then why hadn't he come back? According to our passage, it's time to wake up. No matter where Jesus is, it's time to stop living either in the past or in the future and to start living right now because wherever the end comes, that is when it will come in the now. And meanwhile, our best chance of discovering what abundant life is all about is to start living it right now. Not only one by one, but also altogether. Someone once said that the second coming of Christ was an idea cooked up by some church father with only two fingers. The truth, he said, is that Christ comes again and again and again. That God has placed no limit on coming to the world, but is always on the way to us here and now. The only thing we are required to do is to notice, to watch, to keep our eyes peeled. Therefore, says Jesus, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. How do you deal with a piece of advice like that? Well, why not be ready all the time, not only for the end, but for whatever the moment brings? Every morning when you wake up, decide to live the life God has given you to live right now. Refuse to live yesterday over and over again. Resist the temptation to save your best self for tomorrow. Do not put off living the kind of life you meant to live. There is no time for that, no matter how much time is left. Go ahead and make that decision. Have that conversation. Get the help you need. Find someone to love. Give yourself away. Why waste your time making preparations for an end time you cannot predict? Live prepared. Live a caught-up life, not a put-off life, so that wherever you are, standing in a field or grinding at the mill, or just going about the everyday business of your life, you are ready for God for whatever happens next. Not afraid, but wide awake, watching for the Lord who never tires of coming to the world. Who knows? Ours may be the generation that finally sees him ride in on the clouds, or we may meet him the same way generations before us have one by one by one, as we close our eyes for the last time. Either way, our lives are in God's hands. Either way, God leaves the living of our lives to us. Our job is to leave the rest to him. Need is faith to hear the dealers honing. 
Let us pray. God of hope, where things seem to be one big tangle of pain and unhappiness, intervene with your saving love. Where people are in conflict or locked in a stalemate, release them from the cycle of war. Where your name is outlawed and your children are forced to hide, break through their darkness and be God revealed to them. Where despair takes centre stage and depression and anxiety sharpen their claws. Fill those situations with unexpected peace and joy. God of hope, go with us. God of all time and of every place, may the earth be filled with the knowledge of you. And may your light flow over the world like a covering, bringing protection from the darkness and from the evil that often frightens and wounds us. Amen.
Our last song is not a gospel song as such, but sung in that style. It's called A Change Gun Come. It's sung by Sam Cooke. But first, a final prayer. Lord, we pray that in all our preparations for the coming week and for Christmas, we may find time to spend time with you. Help us to be prayerful, watchful, and full of hope for your coming. Amen. But I know a change gonna come. 